Our scripture lesson this morning uh, is from Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. We will now read our catechism lesson responsively. Lord's Day 20, question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that he is given also to me, so that through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. We have uh, selected Psalm 51 as our reading today, as mentioned earlier, because it is one of the uh, clearest references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And I think it's worth asking the question, why is that so? Why is David's heart uh, drawn uh, to the Spirit in this prayer, in this psalm. Well, the prayer, as we know, is a model prayer of confession. David acknowledges that his sin is not merely against Uriah, the Hittite, uh, whom he killed, essentially, nor against Bathsheba, uh, whom he violated and uh, stole from her husband, but against the Lord. David doesn't hedge at all. He doesn't make excuses. He knows his transgressions as Sins against God. He doesn't promise that he will mend his ways, that he'll clean himself up. Rather, he asks God to cleanse him. 
to forgive him. Uh, he says, uh, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He shows confidence in God's purifying work. He trusts in the power of God to make him whiter than snow. He sees that after he's been bruised uh, by God's law, uh, there is joy and freedom in God's grace. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice, he writes. In other words, David is trusting entirely in God's mercy, entirely in his grace. He's trusting in the gift of forgiveness, the gift of cleansing and new life. And he's trusting in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to work all of these gifts in him. In this uh, key central section where he speaks of the Spirit, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And we see here that the spirit, as our catechism says, is a gift. It is a gift that is given to us. And David says, do not take it away. It is God's presence within him that is transforming his own spirit, working in him to create in him a clean heart. And verses 10 and 12 both point uh, to this. They both call on God uh, to give him this right spirit. And so verse 11, speaking of the spirit, acknowledges that the spirit's work is eternal. The Holy Spirit is within him and transforming him, has transformed him even in his confession. This is the essence of God's salvation. The work of forgiveness, the work which God does in our hearts. The work of renewal. And this renewal is what loosens David's tongue. This uh, gift of God's grace is what leads him in gratitude to sing praises. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Again, he's asking God to move his body (laughs) to lead him to praise. And we turn today to the Holy Spirit. It's important that we grasp how crucial the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is to the gospel. We often think of the Trinity as, uh, as an afterthought. Um, at worst, some critics of the Christian faith say that this is a, uh, an invention, a dogmatic invention of the church of the fourth century. Right? Why do we have these, this philosophical terminology? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Right? Um, we see nothing of consubstantiality or homoousios in the Bible. But the gospel requires a distinct person of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, as we've already seen, requires a son who can take on human flesh and be a second Adam and accomplishing our redemption. And it requires a spirit that can dwell with us when the son is raising in glory in the new creation, dwell within us and apply that work of redemption accomplished by the son. The confession of our sins, the turning to Christ, the spirit reminds us is beyond our ability Even this is beyond our own power. We are truly dead in our sins and trespasses. That's not just something from the beginning of the Christian life. That points to a dependence we have on God throughout the Christian life. Such that we cannot believe on Christ. We cannot repent. We cannot receive his forgiveness unless the spirit is working in us. And so the spirit, the third person, represents how dependent 
We are on God at every moment, not only in our justification, but in our sanctification. So as we reflect on the Spirit today, um, it's perhaps superficially easy to say, well, Reformed Christians don't really care much about the Holy Spirit. We have this one short little question. We had a whole uh, section on Christ. Uh, But we are reminded, again, of the big picture here. We are going through the Apostles' Creed, and the beginning of the Apostles' Creed, uh, in question 24, we said, how are these articles of the Christian faith divided into three parts? God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And what that is teaching us in question 24 is that everything that follows our uh, confession of the Holy Spirit is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We have in our history sometimes forgotten that what we confess about the church, what we confess about the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, that is the work of the Spirit. Those are the gifts of the Spirit, even as uh, the birth, death, crucifixion, resurrection and ascension of Christ are, are the works of the second person of the Trinity. So even though there is only this one brief question Addressing this one line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, this whole section falls under the work of the Spirit. And I would add um, that if you step back and read the Catechism as a whole, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 41 times in these 129 questions. The teaching about the Spirit isn't just in this section, right? We see the Spirit in the section on the sacraments, on the church, on uh, conviction of sin, on prayer. So our confessions care deeply about the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're familiar, and if you uh, look in our worship bulletin this morning, we'll confess the Nicene Creed in our communion service. And the Creed uh, of Nicaea gives a little bit more detail about the Holy Spirit. It gives us some more of His titles and works. He is the Lord and giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. He speaks by the prophets. And then it continues on with the teaching of the church and the other works of the Spirit. Of course, uh, that instruction about the Spirit, that additional instruction was uh, deeply relevant to the Trinitarian debates of the 4th century that led to the Council of Nicaea and uh, Constantinople in 381. Uh, The Athanasian Athanasian Creed as well, bolstering the doctrine of the Trinity, teaches that the Spirit too is uncreated, God, immeasurable, eternal, almighty, God and Lord. And so while we acknowledge that we confess much more about the work of Jesus Christ, and, uh, and Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Catechism points this out, we have much more to say about Christ in our Apostles' Creed and about his work. But this is reflective of what the New Testament teaches us. Right? The New Testament teaches us that the work of the Spirit is pointing us to Christ. The work of the Spirit is calling to mind the work that Christ has done. And this is why Michael Horton talks about the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. He is like a stagehand in a theater. He's the the one working the lights. And he's putting the spotlight on Christ and our faith in Christ. We don't confess distinct works of the Spirit. His work is applying the work of Christ in us. And so uh, this is all useful for us to step back and acknowledge the, the importance and the value of the Spirit but also how we have historically confessed that and seen that throughout our understanding of the Trinity. We begin here with our catechism uh, confessing what's important, that the Spirit is eternal God. 
So our catechism teaches us about the person of the Spirit. It teaches us about His office, what He does, and also about His gifts, the things that He uh, gives uh, to the church. And here, uh, the first thing that we mark is that the Spirit is truly personal. He's truly God. And over the influence of the last hundred or 150 years or so in the North American and the Western church, uh, charismatic movements, Pentecostal movements have emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit, but they've often not emphasized the unique personhood of the Spirit. They've often emphasized the Spirit as, as a power or a force uh, that believers tap into. Right? So it's like uh, the Spirit is, is the electric grid, and we need to get the Spirit in our life so we can do the things that we want to do in our Christian life. And I would say that this teaching is, is not fully reflective of the fullness of Scripture. And that we need to take a moment here and pause and affirm the Spirit as a person, as much as the Father and the Son, who sometimes isn't as well developed in our thoughts. So one of the ways we see, and, and our author of the Catechism, Ursinus, teaches us uh, that the Spirit is God, is by just looking at how the Scriptures speak of what the Spirit does. He behaves, he acts like a person. He is eternal God because we know that at creation he was already there. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So as the Father spoke the word, the Spirit was there as well. Of course, he is uh, confessed alongside the Father and the Son in our baptismal creed, in Christ's command. Baptized in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the divine name. I uh, personally find Acts 5 to be one of the most compelling Instances of the New Testament and the apostles speaking of the Spirit as God. Um, you recall that Ananias uh, sold his property and came and brought some of the proceeds to the church, claimed that he had brought everything to the church so he was lying, and Peter brings him in for judgment and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So Ananias is lying to someone. He's lying to the Holy Spirit, a person. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of your land. And then he continues and says, You have not lied to a man, but to God. So Peter is clearly uh, affirming that the Holy Spirit is God. He acts like a person. What does the Spirit do? He helps. He teaches. He comforts. He leads into truth. He speaks. First Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says... That in later times, some will depart from the faith. He isn't just one of many gifts, but he is the source of all gifts. Now, there are varieties of gifts, 2 Corinthians 12, but the same Spirit. You see, it is the Spirit in our hearts dwelling in us that gives and delivers to us spiritual gifts. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by one Spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Sometimes I think when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we think of spiritual as an adjective fruits. But these are fruits, again, that the Spirit gives believers. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I always get faithfulness and gentleness out of order there. Those are from Galatians 5 and elsewhere we see. And again, it's a reminder that it's not as though Christians naturally do these things. Sin continues to indwell our hearts. When we act loving, it is the Spirit of God in us. When we are gentle, it is the Spirit working through us. When we are faithful, the Spirit is bringing us that fruit. The Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas as we preached in Acts 13 a few weeks ago. And it is the Spirit who establishes overseers in the church. And Paul, in his farewell to the Ephesian elders, says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, that's why when we confess the church in the next line of the creed, it's a work of the Spirit. Because He is creating, forming, fashioning, calling, sending. And so what does this Spirit do? He preeminently enlightens and teaches. He focuses us, as we've said, on Christ. And this is Jesus' clear teaching in the farewell discourse. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I still have many things to say to you, John 16, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit is a guide into truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Again, that's where we see the unity of the Spirit's working with the Father and the Son. He he carries the common message which they give to Him. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Spirit glorifies Christ. Of course, the Spirit in John chapter 3 is the person of the Trinity who brings new life, who regenerates us. You must be born again of water and the Spirit. He unites us to Christ. By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Again, we've said that He is a guide into the truth, but He leads us. As many as are led by the Spirit, Romans eight fourteen. Acts 2, the apostles began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we have a a number of titles that reflect His person. He's the Spirit of adoption. He executes and makes us adopted children of God. He is the seal and the earnest, the guarantee. He is the Spirit of life. And as the Nicene Creed says, the giver of life. He is the Spirit of prayer. He gives us utterance. He intercedes for us. He translates our words before the Father. He is the comforter, the advocate or intercessor. And the spirit of truth, wisdom, understanding, joy, gladness, faith, boldness, grace, etc. And so when our catechism says, He is given also to me so that through true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Those are things the Spirit does in and through the church and in and through the means of grace. The Spirit's working on us by pointing Him out and by His indwelling doesn't mean that we deny that He works through external means, through bread and wine and water through the fellowship of real, living, and breathing human saints. But this comforting role, I think, 
uh, in this second part of our catechism's instruction here, emphasizes, right, that the Spirit is given also to me. To me, individually. You know, when we confess Christ, we say not just that Christ died for sinners, but Christ died for me. And when we confess the Spirit, we're saying not only that the Spirit does this work in the church or in the preaching of the Word or in the sacraments, but the Spirit is given to me. He's a gift. And that comforting action is this remaining with me. And that's where I think, as, as we started today, acknowledging and confessing the Spirit as a person is so important. We are not alone. We are never alone as believers. Uh, my wife and daughter are currently uh, in Tennessee visiting uh, my in-laws, my mother-in-law and family. And, um, and I went to dinner with some lovely friends in the church last night and um, returned home to an empty house. And uh, even my dog is in Tennessee. So uh, when I click my, my car lock that honks a horn and my dog comes and runs to the front door and looks out the glass and waits for me. And coming home to an empty house last night was very hard. I felt very lonely. And I had a great deal of, of sympathy uh, for many folks in this city who live alone. It's very hard. But we are never alone as believers. God, in the person of the Spirit, is with us. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, this gift? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians 1. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, that idea of anointing that's often associated with the Spirit, and has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Again, don't be confused, brothers and sisters. The Spirit is the one who immediately sanctifies. The Father and the Son sanctify through the Spirit. The Spirit and the Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus accomplished our redemption. But the Father and the Son don't come into our hearts and work faith in us and comfort us. The Spirit does that. He's given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Doesn't mean that He does so without means, but that is where He works immediately, powerfully. Because you are sons of God, He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God is up. And His wrath and our sin is a judge. He's a just judge. What comfort to know that our judge is our Father. And the Spirit through the gospel, through God's grace, works that comfort in us and preserves it in us. This idea in the Nicene Creed of the, the giver of life. Right, It's reflected in Romans 8. You, whoever, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's a test of of our Christian faith. Does the Spirit, this Spirit, dwell in us? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You can't belong to Christ without the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, and you see there the close, intimate relation between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Lord and giver of life. He dwells in us and gives us life. That's not just at the beginning. That's not just at the new birth. It's daily. 
repentance, nourishment, guiding us into all truth through his word, through the saints, through the church. And he comforts us. He comforts by bearing witness, by confirming the truth of God, not the lies of the devil. He reminds us what Jesus said. And in Acts 9, we read, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied. The Spirit of glory will be with us forever. And the way the Spirit works all this in us is sort of like a time machine. The glory that is ours after our pilgrimage here on earth, he brings forward into time and space. The glory of the risen Christ, the glory of that day where the sun, there will be no sun, where God's light will fill all, where there will be no tears. The Spirit brings that into today. He makes what we trust and believe true and real and concrete within us. He makes the future glory present. So Peter can say, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In persecution, in trials and difficulties, the spirit leads us, points us, reminds us of our heavenly home. It helps us set our minds on things that are above. Let's pray. Merciful God, we need your Holy Spirit each and every day in our lives of faith, in our lives of service in the world. Lord, in our worship today, we need your Spirit. And so we call on you to send him afresh. And we thank you that you have pledged that your Spirit would be working when your word is read and preached in the church. We thank you that you have promised your Spirit to accompany bread and wine and to lift our hearts to heaven. We thank you, dear Lord, for this gift. And we pray that we might acknowledge our want and our need, our emptiness, and be filled today and every day by your spirit of holiness. And so be made holy and grow up into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Receive now the Lord's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go and be with you now and forever. Amen.